Welcome everybody. Uh, today's event for Arise 2022, an online festival of left ideas. Today's event's title, Defend Our Right to Resist, Oppose Tory Divide and Rule. Uh, it's hosted by Arise. I'm your chair today. My name is Mish Rahman. Uh, I'm on Labour's NEC and I'm also on the National Coordinating Group of Momentum. And I'm really pleased to welcome you to this session as part of the month-long Arise Festival of Left Ideas, uh, Defend Our Right to Resist, Oppose Tory Divide and Rule. Today's event uh, is hosted by Arise, uh, and it's supported by a range of left organisations, campaigns and publications. And I urge you to check out the programme for the festival and also get a ticket for the whole event if you haven't got one already. Now, we're delighted to have some brilliant different speakers today. Uh, from different organisations to join us for this session and to bring people together for such an important discussion. This disastrous Tory government is still failing to protect the health and people, and it's resorted to racist scapegoating to distract from their disastrous handling of the pandemic. And it's also planning further cuts and assaults in the months ahead. In particular, uh, the Tories have resorted to attack after attack on our rights from the Overseas Operation Bill to the Spy Cops Bill to the Police Bill as well, with more legislation, including attacks on our trade union rights coming in the pipeline. We've also again and again attacked the inspiring global Black Lives Matter uprising. They're continuing with their uh, horrific Rwanda deportation scheme and failing the refugees who are crossing the channel. Now more than ever, we must oppose those who seek to use racism to divide us and defend all our rights together and building a movement across our communities to stand up to these stories. This is particularly the case, and our speakers will no doubt come onto this with the current race to the bottom Tory leadership contest going on. Candidates have seemed keen to scapegoat community after community, and all of them are promising even more authoritarianism. At the same time, sadly, we've also seen on occasion Labour's leadership not provide the opposition we need on some of these issues. So the question now is, what can we do about these Tory attacks, which are only likely to increase as the cost of living crisis deepens? <coughs> as the session goes on, please post questions in the comments below the screen on YouTube and in the Q&A section on Zoom and we will put some of these to our panel. Please also don't forget to donate at the link provided if you can afford to do so, because Arise cannot continue hosting these important events without your support. So please do support the campaigns and links put in the chat throughout the evening. We've got some great speakers uh, joining us today. Uh, our first speaker is Chantelle Lunt. She's the founder of the Merseyside BLM Alliance and also an active member of both the Kill the Bill and the Black Lives Matter movement. Over to you, Chantel, the floor is yours. Hi, um, I have to apologize because I'm delayed on a train. So I don't know what my signal is like. So if, if it cuts out, someone just take the mic from me. But um, I wanted to talk today about um, the Tory divide and rule tactics, and in particular, the politicization of race. Um, it's something that's obviously, it's a tale as old as 
time using race and migration to survive in rural people, but it's been particularly relevant over the last two years, especially in the light of the BLM movement. Um, it's quite notable, obviously, Kemi Badenoch has been one of the leaders of the Tory leadership race recently. And it's quite notable that the largest attendance of Tory politicians to a debate on race was one for Black History Month in 2020, when Kemi Badenoch declared war on both BLM and critical race theory, which is one of the cornerstone foundations of theory around the civil rights movement. Um, and Black political engagement is something um, that I'm quite interested in. I'm researching it at the moment. And if you look on the government website, they actually list things like protests and campaign work as forms of positive political engagement and they capture black and global majority political engagement under these activities. Yeah, the response to peaceful protests and campaign work by BLM was the government actually responding with an absolute, absolute avalanche of legislation, including the PCSD. Sorry, there's an announcement. The PCSA Act, the CHIS Act, the Nationality and Borders Act, the Elections Bill, and none of this legislation was to the benefit of Black and global majority communities. If anything, they were beating us back with legislation that was causing harm. And they politicised race. This was so evident during the Ukraine war, where white refugees, as, as they should be, were welcomed into the country, but at the same time, Black and brown refugees were being shipped off to Rwanda. And, and this is as I say, a tactic as old as time. When the going gets tough, when the chasm between the elite and the working class is being so sharply felt through the cost of living prices, through the rise in petrol prices, when we're looking at those at the top and saying, this is your fault, they point to our neighbour who hasn't got the same coloured skin and say, actually, it's the refugee trying to come over on a boat and risking the, li the life for a better life. It's the migrants who built this country. It's the descendants of those who built this country and those whose labour built the wealth of this country. They point to people like us at a time when we should be standing united and pointing to them. I won't test the, <laughs> the, the Wi-Fi much longer, but I will end on this. It is a divide and rule tactic and something this Tory government has done which the previous Tory government haven't done as much as they've co-opted people who look like us they've co-opted the Kami Badenoch they've co-opted the Sunaks they've co-opted Pretty Patel to cause harm to our communities because it's so much harder to call it out when that harm is being caused by black and brown people but we have to call it out it is up to us to stand against us you'll notice there was no one celebrating at the prospect of a black and brown prime minister no black and brown people on the left were saying wow this is a great day for us it would not be a great day for us and we have to stand together and oppose it we need to stand together as a class and oppose the elite who are driving this country to ruin and not let them divide us by pointing at migrants and pointing at race thank you guys i hope you heard all of that by the way thank you so much Chantal. that's very impressive being able to hold your internet uh on the uh, train uh, without any interruption well done uh and you're so so right our oppressors now are starting to look like us uh, and they're being uh, co-opted so that they can oppress us uh behind that mask as well thank you so much i hope you stick around hope your wife is around because we might have some questions for you later. Uh, next, I'm going to move on to our next speaker, uh, who's the excellent Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam, also the co-chair of the APPG on migration. Uh, Olivia Blake, the floor is yours. 
Thank you so much, Mission. It's a real pleasure to be speaking um, as part of the Arise Festival. Um, so thank you so much for the invite um, to the event. And I think the title of tonight's meeting um, raises two very uh, critical issues that I've been very actively campaigning on in Parliament, um, the right to protest and picket, and how the government have been using divide and rule to push through their agenda. Uh, apologies that I've got the fan on, it is absolutely boiling in Westminster, but so hopefully that's not too distracting. Um, both of those issues are linked to the biggest cost of living rise in history, um, in recent history. While we've seen the prices soar, we've also seen huge rises in profits, especially for fossil fuel industries who have made profits basically from doing nothing um, because of the global insecurity that we've got at the moment. The government likes to talk about the, uh, a wage inflation spiral, but that it's not wages that are driving the prices, it's profiteering. That's why I was proud to stand on pickets uh, with rail workers who were demanding a best deal from rail companies, especially after those companies made 500 million in profits during the pandemic. That is just a staggering amount, um, given the situation that we had over that period. The government's priority in the dispute is clear. It's about creating divisions between rail workers and the rest. We need to reject that division and stand with anyone who rightly calls for super profits to be invested in supporting workers' pay conditions. But rather than deal with the causes of the cost of living crisis, the government are trying to stop people from protesting about it. And they're attempting to undermine legitimate industrial action too, as we saw that with the legislation passed on Monday night last Monday, to allow agency workers to break strikes. This isn't just about one or two pieces of legislation, though. It's about a whole agenda for government. The first thing we saw since I've been in Parliament was the ABC's Operations Bill. It was about what British soldiers did abroad, but it was the thin end of the wedge in terms of allowing the state to act outside the law. Next came the Spy Cops Bill and then the policing bill. And now having defeated the worst bits of the policing bill, the government are trying to put them into law, but again, by bringing the public order bill back in. Time and time again, they've brought forward laws which are about empowering the state and disempowering people, acting together to stand up for themselves. Because while they're important, this isn't just about the rights of individuals, Throughout history, we've only had a positive change when people have acted together to demand it. This raft of new laws is about stopping people from joining together to make themselves heard, whether it's in a demonstration or a picket line. But new laws aren't the only way the government are trying to stop us from coming together. I've already said that they're hoping to divide rail workers from everybody else. We need to reject that division for the workers in rail, telecoms, post office, teachers, and everyone who's struggling for a decent standard of living. We also need to address the other ways the government is trying to divide us. One of my priorities in Parliament has been to stand up for refugee and migrant rights. The National and Borders Bill and the government's Rwanda policy aren't about addressing the problems in the system. If the government was serious about fixing our broken immigration and asylum system, they would end the hostile environment. What these policies are about is shifting the blame away from their management of the cost of living crisis to create a scapegoat. You can see it happening in the Tory leadership race too. I feel as if there's an endless lurid discussion happening somewhere in the media about what makes someone a woman. And that's been stoked in that context, contest. 
there's a tendency sometimes to see these as culture war issues and say that they're a distraction from the real problems. But I don't think that's right for being uh, for the people being scapegoated. They're not a distraction. They're very real, whether it's workers taking industrial action, refugees and migrants or trans people trying to access basic public services like healthcare or education. We should be completely clear that we stand with people against the demonization and scapegoating and attempts to divide us. And we should be equally clear on the real causes of crisis in our society, the underfunding of our public services and healthcare for everyone, the underinvestment in our economy, and the pursuit of profits over wages and conditions, not to mention the lack of serious action on tackling the climate emergency. Whatever legislation the government throws at us, we need to reject the divisions that the right-wing politicians try to impose on us and continue to find ways to come together because that's the best way to resist and that's the way that we will win. Thank you. Thank you so much, Olivia. Uh, you're 100% right. That was a great uh, contribution. Uh, this is just a distraction away from uh, continuation of their divide and rule tactics, whereas everybody's uh, getting uh, situations getting worse and worse with crisis after crisis, and we're all going to be bearing the brunt of it. Thanks. I hope you stick around because uh, we have a few questions for you later. At this point, I want to bring in Patrick, Patrick Foley from Arise. He's got a few messages for us. So the floor is yours, Patrick. Uh, thanks, Mish. Um, hi, everyone. Just to let you know who I am, I'm Patrick um, from Arise Festival and also from our media partner, Labour Outlook. Um, and I just want to take a minute to ask for your support for our people-powered political festival. Uh, it's been really inspiring to see tens of thousands of people take part over the month. One of the benefits of hosting it online, but also um, a credit to the broad positive plat uh, platform we've put on. Uh, and it's been fantastic to have so many people take part and, and we've had such lovely feedback from, from, from all of you. Um, so thank you for being a part of it. But we wouldn't have been able to do any of this without your support. The cost of ho hosting these events and the digital infrastructure, infrastructure costs do all add up. Um, and it's your donations that have made this possible. So I'm here to ask if you can donate 10 pound or whatever you can afford. Links are being posted in the chat now. Um, and like I said, none of this would have been possible without you. So please, please do donate. You know, we hear it a lot, but the, the Tories have their billionaire backers, but all we have is each other. And, you know, we've, it's, it's our communal power that helps get these messages out and the important contributions that we've heard from tonight. And I think that's another great thing to have even on this um, platform. We have a, a, a Labour movement representative in Mish. We have someone who's outside the, the Labour movement fighting on the streets in Chantel. And then we have Olivia leading that resistance in, in Parliament. And we, we're proud to sort of bring all those elements together throughout this festival. Uh, I also want to tell you about some of the great events we have coming up. And um, we've had a really ram-packed platform uh, and you can see all events on our link tree if, if, if you want to take a look there and see what takes your interest. We've still got five or six left to go. Um, but we, I'd like to flag up two big ones. And one of them is on Sunday evening. We have a special session on Joe Biden in the US and it's called Biden Two Years On. How is the lesser evil doing? Uh, how is the lesser evil doing? And there's some really, really exciting international names there. Um, we have Nina Turner, a former Ohio state senator, and uh, Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign co-chair. We have um, David Sorota. He's a journalist and a founder of the US media outlet, The Lever. And he's also an Oscar and BAFTA nominated um, screenplay writer for Don't Look Up. 
um, and again, a involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign as a presidential speechwriter. And then we also have Media Benjamin, who's a peace activist and the co-founder of the women-led uh, women peace group Code Pink. Um, and that's all facilitated by Steve Howe, who's a former advisor to Jeremy Corbyn. So I really do advise you to go check that out. That's going to be a really interesting session, quite a unique one. Um, and then I'd also like you to come to our closing rally. So we're going to see out um, Arise Festival with a, bit, with a big bang, uh, with a major session on building a resistance, unity through struggle. Um, and that takes place next Wednesday. And with, it's with the likes of John McDonnell, Mark Swatkar, Andrea Egan, uh, Louise Reagan, Sarah Woolley. So some really big names from the Labour movement there and many, many more. So, so go, go to the site and, uh, and check that out. And, and hopefully you can join us for that one as well. And finally, I'd like to end my, my short contribution um, on just another plea for donations. Uh, they really do make a, a massive difference. Whatever you can afford is, is, is welcomed. It really, really helps. We want to keep bringing these events to you. We want to keep bringing discussions from across our movement, uh, from across movements of solidarity and from the frontline resistance against the Tory. And, and we're, with your support, we can, keep, we can keep going. We can keep making this happen. Um, so thanks for listening and um, thank you, Mish. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, thanks so much. Those messages are so important. Please support Arise. Please donate if you can. Uh, these so maybe we can put on these excellent events. Our next speaker is uh, Sabi Dalu, uh, who's the co-convener for Stand Up to Racism. Look forward to joining you on a panel at the Labour Conference in Liverpool, Sabi. For now, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Mish, for that introduction. And um, thank you um, to Arise for inviting me to this very important event and um, to the other speakers. So obviously, as other people have mentioned, we are experiencing the most savage attacks on living standards since records began. And with um, rising stagflation and a decline in real wages, I think we can expect a vicious racist offensive from whoever wins the Tory leadership race. Now, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about how you know, the diversity of the Tory leadership race, and it's clear that the next leader of the Conservative Party will either be um, a Bain person or uh, a woman. But I think we have to look beyond that Yes, representation is important, but you have to look at what people stand for. And I think it's worth recapping what this government's record has been on racism. And both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have held senior positions in a government that has presided over one of the biggest racist onslaughts we've seen from a government. And this is, you know, Enoch Powell racism at the top of the Conservative Party. And it's that type of racism that we're going to see more of whoever wins the leadership race. So let's recap what have they done. So instead of forming a proposal on safe routes to allow uh, asylum seekers to reach here safely, instead of facing the perilous journeys um, across the channel, they're sending asylum seekers to Rwanda. And this is despite the fact that the UK High Commissioner to Rwanda argued that 
Rwanda should not be pursued as an option because Rwanda has been accused of recruiting refugees to conduct armed operations in other countries and has a poor human rights record. But this government continues um, with that policy and all of the leadership candidates committed to continuing that policy. So this is going to continue. The Nationality and Borders Act is a racist piece of legislation, as we all know. Um, the Policing Act includes increased stop and search powers. The Elections Act effectively disenfranchises BAME communities. And they've repeatedly attacked the Black Lives Matter movement, despite the very important nature of the movement in highlighting centuries of racism as a legacy of slavery and um, colonialism. And obviously, once again, we saw Islamophobia rearing its ugly head in the Tory leadership race with Penny Mordaunt being attacked for meeting MCB Secretary General Zara Mohammed. Now, I just want to say, I think any government that doesn't want to meet with the most representative body of British Muslims is not fit to govern. You have to engage with all communities, and that includes the MCB and the Muslim communities. And they also um, presided over the Controversial Commission for Race and Ethnic Disparities, which essentially tried to reverse the very important gains by the Stephen Lawrence inquiry by highlighting institutional racism and that everyone in the race relations um, work has, you know, and you know, essentially it was agreed that institutional racism is something that exists and something that needs to address until this government came along a year ago and said that actually it doesn't exist. It examined policing, employment, education and health and somehow managed to conclude that the ethnic and race disparities in those different areas are somehow not linked to institutional racism, where institutional racism is at the heart of race and ethnic disparities in those sectors, particularly in health, in, uh, where we literally, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Over 200,000 people have died, according to the Office of National Statistics, and disproportionately black, Asian and ethnic minority communities are being disproportionately impacted. That's because of institutional racism. It's not because of anything else. But the government's official response to this a few months ago was we wholeheartedly agree with the Commission's wide ranging conclusions and especially the finding that we have made enormous progress as a multiracial society over the past 50 years. I think it's ironic that when the government issued that statement, it was overshadowed by the very real experience of institutional racism experienced by Child Q, who was brutally strip searched by police officers in her school. And, you know, if that doesn't reflect institutional racism in society, I don't know what, what does. And I think recent studies show that around 9,000 children, around 9,000 people have been strip searched um, in schools and 2,000 of those were under the um, age of 16. So child Q was not a case in isolation. This is a horrific problem and it stems from racism that starts at school and leads to people being excluded from school and being um, outside of the education system and then go on to be um, criminalized. And you know that is a reflection of institutional racism that needs to be addressed and that needs to be taken seriously by um, any government, but that's not going to happen under this government. So that's why it's important to be part of the fight back against this government, just as the trade unions have supported 
anti-racist campaigns, UN Anti-Racism Day, the campaign against Rwanda deportations. We support this summer's strike actions. And that's because the majority of Bain communities are disproportionately impacted by the cost of living crisis and they support the strike actions. You can see the diversity of you know, the, the strike action taking place, the RMT's rally, was really diverse and Mick Lynch made a fantastic speech about the importance of including black, um, Asian and other minority ethnic workers. So this is, this is progressive. This is what representation looks like. So that's what we should be paying attention to. So please support our campaign against Rwanda deportations. The, um, the court case um, is going to, has been adjourned to September. We haven't got an exact date yet. Please keep an eye out on that and please join us outside the court case. It's important to oppose that horrific, inhumane policy. Um, as Mish said, um, we'll be at Labour Party conference. Mish will be one of the speakers there, along with Diane Abbott, Bella Ribeiro Addy and others. That's on um, the Monday, the 26th of September at lunchtime at Labour Party conference. And the Stand Up to Racism conference is taking place on the 15th of October on Saturday. It's a hybrid event. It's at Friends Meeting House in Euston, London. But you can also tune in online as well. So please look out for details to register for that. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to address this meeting. Thank you so much, Sabi. Great contribution. Uh, we've got loads of questions coming in. Hope you uh, stick around for there's a couple of questions uh, that might uh, be of interest to you. Uh, Chantel, uh, if you're internet stable, there's a question that uh, somebody's asked for yourself. How do we bring together Labour Party and trade unions on the one hand uh, and the new uh, militant and flowering activist groups such as BLM? the bill just off oil and many more on the other into major social movement campaigns together against the restrictive legislation and the Tory agenda. Any thoughts Chantal? Um, I think it's by disbanding and, um, and just can you hear me by the way sorry um, I think it's by disbanding and any notions of a hierarchy of voices as I mentioned before politics politics regardless of what we legitimize and what we don't and it's kind of a bit of a there's a level of arrogance to that colonial trope of you know it's only politics if it's in parliament well actually what we do on the street is politics what campaigners are doing what young people are doing around you know the environment that's all politics and i think forward thinking um politicians acknowledge that like just before i came on this call i was in a fantastic meeting i can't say the name yet because we haven't chose it but it's around the cost of living crisis in the room with trade unionists, politicians, activists, and there was no hierarchy of voices. It was, we're all politically engaged. We all have access to different members of our community, some who won't engage with others. How can we come together to get everyone pushing forward on this cost of living crisis so that in, you know, in October when, the, when, the, um, when our bills go up, we're not plunging even more people into poverty. That's that's the very real situation that we're facing. So I feel like it is that coming together of realizing the because it benefits us is that coming together and driving forward on the issues that align us, be the environment, be the cost of living. And as we know on the left, easier said than done, especially if possibly there. But within this meeting that I was in, there, there are there's still a socialist half believer. A lot of MPs have still got that kind of socialist vein running through the bodies. And we do just need to find out whose views align with our own, who are about the cause 
and bringing together at events like you know so brilliant one that'll be happening in September that's something else that I'm working on it's alongside the um, Labour Party conference so I think it's finding those spaces finding those voices finding those key players and disbanding and any notions of hierarchy just because one person might walk into parliament and one person might walk onto the street with a megaphone that doesn't mean we're any different it just means that we occupy different spaces the things that should be pushing us forward are the cause are the vision of this vision of a future where people are weak and not able to go home and keep their homes we need to it is a time to unite and i think the way to do that is <laughs> thank you thank you Chantal great comprehensive answer to that uh, Olivia uh, what have you taken from the conservative leadership campaign so far in terms of their approach to divide and rule oh, I think unfortunately that they want to they want to ramp it up um, and they want to distract us all with divide and rule politics whilst you know there's, there's some really critical issues i mean just look at the weather this week and the climate crisis should absolutely be the top of every single one of their agendas and it's not the other crisis that we know, we haven't heard anything on is a housing crisis which we know up and down the country it doesn't really matter where you live there's a proper issue um that is fueling the cost of living crisis with how much people are paying on housing at the moment and the insecure tenancies and all the issues that come with it so i think you know for me it's been it's been pretty horrific as a um you know an mp who is disabled and an mp who is bisexual i've also been horrified by the way they talk about people um whether that's about get accessing social support or about um lgbt rights i think that you know quite clearly you know the idea that we bring back section 28 is is a very divide and rule um thing to be discussing so i think i think to be honest i think that they they really want to ramp it up and and that makes it in some ways easier for us because i think we we all know that we can work together much more effectively than than being alone voices so i feel like actually i think this is going to massively backfire for them um and the things that chantelle was just kind of outlining is exactly what the response needs to be from the left to this is that getting organizing trying to build those bridges trying to build those links to tackle the crucial arguments that we need to win and drag the right if they're in power for for the next period of time back to trying to to hold them to account and and um and and not let them off the hook for the terrible decisions that they've made over the last 12 years around austerity um and this massive shift in civil liberties to the right as well i think it's really really critical that we, we challenge that in every way we can thank you that's great and i think that you're, you're completely right uh, that is that is what we have to do and obviously hopefully a Labour government that ends this uh, is, is what, we're, what we're all after. Obviously we've got a lot of work ourselves to do there to, to get that far. Uh, Sabi, can you uh, tell us about, uh, obviously you know there's a lot of new attacks on the right to protest and they've just gone into law and with the police bill and there's new regulations uh, coming in on industrial action as well uh, in Parliament. Now, there's been some mobilisation against these laws, but uh, will we see bigger and more effective mobilisations once the authorities seek to shut us down? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I certainly think that the legislation curbing the right to protest won't make a difference to the protests. I think, um, if anything, people will be more likely to uh, come out on the streets and protest what the government's doing, because what they're doing is so horrific. The attacks on living standards are so horrific. You know, this is worse than, you know, anything we've seen in recent times coupled with the attacks on racism um, uh, or the attacks in relation to racism, the whipping up of racism, it, you know, it just means that people are not going to be stopped by this new, you know, legislation. And I think it's important not to be too downhearted and despondent about various bits of legislation that are reactionary and that have been passed in Parliament, because the government does have a majority so they can get through anything they want in parliament and what's important is that there is a fight back on the streets so i agree with what chantelle said i think that that is also a reflection of political opposition to what the government is doing so but i do agree that you know i think we need to see more of a um, a fight back from labor as well on some of these issues because i don't think that they have been putting up a fight on some of the key bits of legislation that have you know been you know savage in terms of you know its level of racism um as well as you know the cost of living crisis so i think we need to see more from labor but i think that you know the the protest will go on um strike action will go on and i think it's important for um the labor left to support all of this yeah fantastic uh if olivia or chantelle wants to come in on that as well uh, because obviously our right to protest is being curtailed. Uh, any ideas as well how we need to uh, uh, rise up against that? If you want to come in now. I mean, I'm happy to, obviously as a Labour MP, I could never tell anyone to uh, intentionally break the law, but I, I do think that it's, um, you know, a piece of legislation that I, I and a number of um, my colleagues were very vocal against. Um, we were able to push um, push the Labour front bench to be a bit firmer in the Lords and 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 try and win some of those debates in the Lords. So it, it was weakened. But I think you're right, um, Savvy, I think we could get into the detail of that a little bit too much and kind of fixate on what has and hasn't happened in, in Parliament when actually the truth is, is that their reason they're bringing this in is because they they either have plans or they don't have plans to tackle these crises, right? That we're all facing. So whether it's economic, whether it's climate, whether it's um, you know the cost of living, um, they're they're obviously planning something. Otherwise, they won't want to restrict our rights to protest, protest right? Um, so I guess that's the kind of thing that I'm most critical of. And I think that the the, the actual one thing that I think we should be focusing on as a movement with what in terms of what's going on here is the attack on the Human Rights Act, actually, and the, the underpinning that that is given to so many groups in our movement to access justice over many, many, many years um, since the Labour government bought, bought it in and, and the links to the international kind of legal framework within that. I think it's really, really important and one that we should all be really vocal about, um, because if we give up on on that fight, I think we'll be in even more trouble. Um, I'm I'm very scared of where we are, actually. Um, I think that we are heading towards a totalitarian kind of um, approach to government. And I think that's very, very worrying. And that's why it requires people to kind of work together, get our voices heard, 
make sure that we are like standing up for our rights and actually protecting those rights and that's why i will always stand shoulder to shoulder whether it's blm or trade unionists going out there and um, asking for justice asking for um you know a fair day's pay for, uh, uh, for for the work that people are doing i don't think that people should be working for their poverty and i think we're seeing that far too often at the moment both in the private sector and the public sector so i think there are some huge fights for us as a labor movement and um, that collectively uh, we can be working on but also as a as a climate movement as well like we need to join those dots as well and make sure that we're kind of um working together on this because we can't um we have to show a united front i think against this no matter who we are and i think it's been quite interesting in sheffield because we've had like events with you know the bishop of sheffield supporting our work against um the policing bill um, and different parts of civil society coming out and calling this out and i think those coalitions are and are very very powerful um in in kind of calling out the worst elements of this thank you so much that that, that is that is really really uh, I mean encouraging the, the work that you're doing as well uh, to be able to do that and, and I know it's difficult with, uh, with with being in Parliament and being able to also uh, rise up with what's outside. One thing I wanted to ask, uh, especially to Chantel as well, uh, is as we, as we know, uh, Islamophobia is on the rise and it, it always has been, uh, but now it's become such a uh, such a such a problem, not just uh, within uh, the Conservative Party or any of the political parties, but in society. But none of the political parties seem to be uh, putting a lid on it in terms of being able to uh, ascertain how how to stop Islamophobia or even recognizing Islamophobia within society and within uh, the political parties themselves, especially the Tories, uh, and then also with Labour. When you've seen the Labour Muslim. Uh, network report as well. Uh, so what are your thoughts on uh, Chantel before we go on to our next speaker, who obviously you've just joining us, uh, Shami Chakrabarti, what are your thoughts on how we uh, curb the rise of Islamophobia? Um, apologies, I'm just getting introduced. And um, up guarantee, obviously, I'm fine with these train delays, but again, the signal is getting worse. So I absolutely think if we look to mainstream politics on both sides to tackle Islamophobia, we might be looking for a long time. And that's because a lot of these mainstream parties have just lent towards populism, lent towards nationalism. You know, we only need to look at certain party leaders standing in front of a flag at every opportunity to see the gravity of the situation. I think we need to look to each other because the moral compass among mainstream politics just swings like the wind based on what the most like what swing voters are kind of interested in and it's not popular to speak out about islamophobia it's more popular, more of a popular topic to speak out about the war on terror and all of these things that feed into islamophobia Islamophobic trends against communities, particularly Muslim communities, having faith. We know that the stories have facilitated this culture where it's okay now to tell people to go home, it's okay to harass a woman in a hijab. And we know that this is morally wrong, but I think that we need to not wait for those in power to tell us that it's morally wrong. I think we need to stand in solidarity and call it out at a grassroots level because I think when you you talk about the need to call out, oh, 
have a lot of signal. Um, I think when we talk about the need to call out issues of racism and Islamophobia, quite often politicians will only look when it's within their benefits to look, so when footballers are getting attacked, not when people are getting attacked in the street. So I think it does have to come from the grassroots, and I think there needs to be that solidarity from organisations. Thank you, Chantel. Uh, thanks for that. We've got uh, our next speaker, Shami Chakrabarti. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hello. Good to have you. Human rights campaigner, Labour member of House of Lords and the former director of Liberty. Uh, the floor is yours, Shami. Unmute. That's me unmuting myself. Um, um, I, I hope um, you can all hear me. I'm, I'm sorry to be late, but um, I was voting um, in the chamber on um, on anti-slavery. Um, it's such a difficult time. Uh, I want to be totally honest about that. It's a very difficult and dark time for, for anybody that cares about rights and freedoms in this country. Um, particularly bad um, in the labour movement for those of us that care about race equality and about climate catastrophe. I'll tell you a little story. I walked into the House of Lords today and a very charming elderly conservative peer stopped me and said, oh, how are you? And I said, well, I'm okay, thanks. And he told me how um, everybody's being alarmist about, about climate change. And that yesterday's temperature was a, was a one-off and people should just get over themselves. So there's that degree of denialism and complacency. And equally, we have had a government in the last few years and you know, whichever face they produce after their beauty contest, it's gonna be the same government. It's not even a conservative government. It's not even a Tory government as I understand that. It's, what we're seeing is a populist far-right government. Now, I'm not using the F word, and we don't need to use the F word, but I can justify it. I'm talking xenophobia, nationalism, racism, contempt for institutions, authoritarianism, big spending, but corrupt big spending. It has all the hallmarks of populist far-rightism and we're seeing this all over the world and these people learn from each other they're nationalists but goodness me they are very internationalist in their in their dealings with each other don't tell me that boris johnson wasn't learning from the trump bannon playbook because he clearly was and you can see the evidence online for that and that is what we're up against we're up against now tragically, the Elections Act that is about voter suppression. We are up against the Police Act, which is about suppressing peaceful, peaceful dissent on the streets. And there's a public order bill coming down the pipeline. We're looking at the odious, odious Nationality and Borders Act, which is coach and horses through the Refugee Convention. And, um, and we're looking at the Rwanda Pact. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 it's, very, it's very upsetting to me to see 
you know, I'm the daughter of migrants to this country. And when I listened to Pretty Patel and Sabella Braverman, who owe as much to tolerance and race equality and all these values that were fought for by the left, um, they, they owe a lot to those things, just trashing them, it, 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 it breaks my heart. So we're really, really up against it. These aren't even Tories. These aren't even Tories. I'm happy to disagree with Tories. I have done all my life. But this is something far worse. And I think we need to really, we need a popular front against this. We need to get out of our factions and our boxes and we need to take on the issues. And the big one coming down the track is they're going to trash the Human Rights Act. This is the big prize. And now that Penny Morden, who to me was the only human being in the contest, is now out, we're looking at two candidates in Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss who won't even say we will stay in the European Convention on Human Rights. And, um, and um, Dominic Robb is a key member of Rishi Sunak's team, and he's done that in order to keep his position, presumably as Deputy Prime Minister, and he's on a mission to scrap the Human Rights Act and probably pull us out of the Convention on Human Rights. And I hope I don't need to tell people on this call how desperate that is, and we can't give up this vital protection. And we need to reach out across the labor movement and say to even to people who have not always been kind to us, are we labor or not? Is the Human Rights Act a labor legacy or not? Is this not something that should unite not just the labor movement, but all decent democratic uh, rights loving people or not? And that, if I may say so, is the, is the biggest challenge that we face to, to our rights and freedoms. Because if we let it go, if we let them trash the Human Rights Act, every piece of authoritarian legislation that was going to be read subject to the Human Rights Act is gonna be even worse. We're taking away a vital protection for, for, for rape victims, for Hillsborough victims, uh, for, um, for Windrush victims, for anybody who in the last 20 years has ever tried to take on abuses of power, whoever, whoever is in government, Everton or Liverpool, if you know what I mean. Because politics for me isn't just a football match and red shirts and blue shirts and who's going to be the biggest. You know, people said to me um, in the House of Lords, who's, which of these candidates is going to be the biggest threat to Labour at a general election. And I said, Penny Mordaunt. But I also said to them, but she's probably the least threat to the country. And guess what? She was the one who was accused by Rishi Sunak of being Jeremy Corbyn, which is a ludicrous, by the way, totally ludicrous proposition. But that was just because she was the one, if you looked at those debates, who shed a little bit of care for people struggling in a cost of living crisis and was trying to, to you know, to, to not be nasty. And anyway, she's out. They've dealt with her and they dealt with her for what? Being too, she was too woke. Um, she was too inclusive. And she, the Daily Mail did a right number on her the other day, which was that she sat down with the wonderful young Zara Mohammed, the first ever woman Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain. And she sat down with her when she was a minister a year or two ago 
and congratulated this young woman on a very important appointment. And so her rivals and um, put out their poison and whole front page of the Daily Mail um, to say how suspect that is. And that's what culture war is. And this attack on our rights and freedoms is part of the culture war. And what does that mean? It's divide and rule. If you get people to turn on each other on grounds of sex and sexuality and race and nationality and your bits, the bits of your body that shouldn't ultimately matter. If we turn on each other, we don't look up at the gods on Olympus who are so rich now that they are bored with us and they want to have space programs. And people want to take back control, good luck. But let's start taking back control from Amazon and from Facebook and from Coca-Cola and from Rupert Murdoch. They are laughing at us from these great heights as we turn on each other, but people on this call know that. And I just put out this call that the big fight coming in the autumn is to save our Human Rights Act. And we, in this, on this call, need to put that challenge to people across the Labour movement. Will you stand with us for Labour's Human Rights Act, for our Human Rights Act, and will we unite with every, this is time for a popular front. If I am right, if people agree with me that we are dealing with a populist far-right government, not even a traditional Tory government, then in my view, it's time for a popular front. And, um, and so on that basis, I'm very proud to be on this call. I thank everybody here, including you, Mish, for all the great work that you're doing. But that is what I think the big fight is coming in the autumn. And I hope we can all unite and arise against that. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Sammy. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, it's great. Thanks for uh, coming. And uh, I understand that you've been busy, you've been in the Lords and uh, you have, but yeah, always great to hear from you. I think we're running out of time. Before we do, uh, some closing remarks. Uh, Olivia, Sabi, and then Chantel, please. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you again for Arise for putting this on um, as part of the festival. I think that this discussion is really, really important one that we keep on having across the movement. And I think that we need to, um, you know, Shami and I both uh, pointed out, it's so, so important that the human rights act is, is where some of our focus goes on this, whether we're disability activists, whether we're um, sort of trying to fight sexism in our workplaces if we're trying to um you know get more rights for different groups or if we're trying to fight for our um our, our workers rights it doesn't matter what we're fighting for the human rights act doesn't depend absolutely everything um and and we've had so many wins over the years using that um framework to be able to to call and hold people to account and make sure that they can't treat us um treat us as though we don't matter and it's as if we don't have those rights and um, so we, should, we absolutely need to protect that thank you so much olivia sabi thank you mish um yeah i just want to close by saying that i think um, Shami is right. I think that this is a far-right populist government. It's not a traditional Tory, you know, government. 
And I think uh, Shami's right about the importance of, um, uh, sorry, excuse me, standing up for the Human Rights Act and actually campaigning against the government's attempts to um, reform that. Um, and just to give a couple of examples in regarding racism. So the Theresa May government, the Cameron government, obviously they were bad on immigration and things like the hostile environment, which led to the Windrush scandal. And obviously there is an overlap when you attack immigrants, you know, outside of the country, it does have an impact on black communities, you know, here as we saw with the Windrush scandal. But I think there was a genuine attempt to address institutional racism. So they implemented things like the Downing Street Race Disparity Unit. They had people like Simon Woolley working on actually, you know, trying to instigate some change in that respect. There were various reviews. They got David Lammy to conduct a review in the criminal justice system and institutional racism there. And um, there were other reviews in relation to um, employment and so on and so forth. There was a genuine attempt to try and address institutional racism. Um, and also Theresa May did actually change um, police powers in relation to stop and search, making it more difficult for them to stop and search people. That was immediately reversed when Boris Johnson came to power. So that there, there are differences between, you know, this government and um, previous conservative governments. And I think, yeah, we do need to be, you know, fighting hard against this government and campaigning to defend the Human Rights Act. Thank you, Sabi. Uh, and over to you, Chantel. Okay, so I just kind of want to do a little word flip on the theme of today's panel, which is divide and rule. I think it's our job as those on the left and those campaigning to change to unite and win. And I do think, you know, people keep on going on about the plastic war and while we didn't declare it, we've certainly got to fight it. And now is the time. I just think now is the moment. This is the moment that the next generation are going to look at us, every single one of us who is here now and say, what did you do? And did you do everything within your power? Now, we're two years in, you know, we're two years into an absolute onslaught of attacks from the elites. And a lot of us, if anything like me, are burnt out and tired and we're just trying to get through the day. But we have to give everything that we've got. We have to not only be talking within our circles and the left, but to, you know, people whose bills are going up, we've never got into activism. We need to be drawing more and more working class people into this fight. And we need to be myth-busting. We need to be getting out there to protest. I've just arrived in London. I'm going to be doing a bit of work, but on Saturday, I'm going to free protest because protesting hasn't stopped. Don't believe the hype. Protesting's gone on as normal in spite of the police saying crime sentencing and court acts, and we need to be carrying on business as usual. But the most important thing is that we need to not be letting those little niggles, the survivors on the left, do that anymore. The, the big word is unity. The big word is bringing together the community and not losing our humanity, remembering why we are in this. We need to be looking left, looking right, and looking out for each other throughout this because we've got a long way to go. Thank you, Chantal. Wow, those were some powerful contributions. Thank you, everybody, for participating. Uh, that was really, really uh, good to hear so many powerful contributions from some, some of the strongest voices in our movement. And we now know that we have these important battles ahead, and we also know just how important our campaigning against the Tories 
divisive agenda is, including in turning Black Lives Matter from a rallying cry to a reality and making sure that we defend our rights, civil liberties from the constant attacks that they are under. And we have a right and a duty to resist, as our brilliant speakers have said. Additionally, as this discussion and others throughout the Arise Festival have shown, there's so much more important work to do be done, especially in labor, in the trade unions, in our communities, through movements such as those we have heard from today and more in continuing to build this anti-Tory resistance. So please also take on board the action links uh, that have been posted in the chat and including uh, by donating at the link provided if you can. So these uh, important events can continue to be hosted. Also there's some remaining uh, Arise sessions, including the closing event with John McDonnell, Mark Sawatka, Sarah Woolley, and more on Wednesday the 27th, called Building the Resistance, Unity Through Struggle. Thanks again to our brilliant speakers, Shami, Sabi, Olivia, Chantel, and to Arise for hosting, and to everybody for listening. Thank you and solidarity, comrades.